0: Service. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Sam Hollander is. Someone whose name you probably don't know, but you do know his work. He's a songwriter, record producer, musician, um, who has written or co-written some of the most famous songs of our time, Uh, 22 top 40 hits. Um, As recently as 2019, he was the Billboard rock songwriter, number one songwriter. Um, for nine straight weeks, which was a a record. He's he's written songs that have been streamed over four billion times. So you may not know his name, but you know his work. And his work is just that, it's work. And it's fascinating to hear him describe his process. Uh, I think you will come to the conclusion that I've always come to about Sam, which is that his infectious um, happiness, his ebullient joy, like he is his good attitude personified. He walks into a room and lifts spirits. That's just what he does. And it's part of his job. You know, he brings out the best in his collaborators and they work together to make something really special. He's, um, he's a good dude, such a good dude. In fact, that he was willing to join me via zoom for this wheels off conversation from his family's vacation in Cape Cod. Uh, you'll be able to hear his dog barking in the background. There are some F bombs. I'm trying to think if there's anything too adult otherwise. I don't think so. Um, He's such, you know, I, I think you're going to get a kick out of Sam Hollander. Uh, there's really useful stuff for the songwriters out there who's who are listening. And uh, I think there's a ton of useful stuff for anyone, whether you're a creative type person or just someone who wants to be inspired, because Sam Hollander is nothing if not inspiring. So please welcome to Wheels Off, Sam Hollander. Welcome to Wheels Off, Sam Hollander. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Ah, hello, my brethren. It is truly an honor. uh, I'm Glad to be here, my man.
0: Uh, For the edification of our listeners from where are you joining us?
1: Um, I would be in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and, uh, I'm currently hiding here and I don't know if I will be returning. So (laughs) this could just become home and we'll call it a day.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And, uh,
1: (laughs) it seems really beautiful
0: right there. So I'm glad you're getting a vacation.
1: I'm getting a vacation. Uh, I have uh, mouthy dogs who have tons of content so and a child as well. So expect sort <laughs> of little interruptions and flourishes and just, you know, don't, I hope it doesn't affect our output, but uh, that's why I'm hiding and taping this in a basement where no one can find me.
0: Well, one thing I've loved about watching your career and you know work over the years is that you seem like you work a lot, and it's uh, it seems like it comes down to a great work ethic, and you really enjoy it. I wonder what what are you working on right now, and how does it light you up?
1: Um, let's see. I've been doing uh, a couple things concurrently. Um, I've been working with uh, my career's always had this strange. Um, It's sort of a kaleidoscope of crazy where it never, um, I would say it's never, uh, there's never a straight path. There's always, I I think I work best when I have disparate sort of ideas going on because I just sort of, it just puts it all together. So I've been working on a book um, that I've almost completed, my first book, which is pretty cool, um, which is about failure. (laughs) and failing my way up the charts and sort of being uh the 2021 chauncey gardner so it's it's a it's a little it's a little bit of that um i've been working on a tv show for the nbc networks called ordinary joe that will uh premiere on monday nights in the fall and it's a drama and i'm writing and producing the music for it and it's pretty rad. I'm really excited. Um, I think it's a really sweet show and uh, it actually starts filming this week. And so I'm just trying to, uh, get, you know, just dig into my writing down here. And then um, I've been working with Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, who is obviously when you think of NBC dramas, you think Tom Morello. So, <laughs> so that, that's how my head works best though. It's like, I just need one to balance the other, to balance the other. And um, and uh yeah, man, and then I spent the last couple days in Manhattan working with a kid named Joshua Bassett, who um, is a massive uh, Disney star of high school musical, et cetera. And uh, uh, he's a lovely young fella, and he's super muso and talented and really interesting kid. So that was kind of rad. And I don't know, I'm all over the place, man. And then I, I've sort of adapted a new lifestyle of like intensive days, and then... Um, endless stretches of nothing, a vacation. It's sort of like I'm just trying to see what retirement feels like. I'm trying to get a handle on it and just get used to it. I'm thinking, I like this. Like, fortunately, I'm getting the pandemic washed out, you know, some of my crazy, which is great. So I feel like, yeah, I'm just dialing it down a bit and I'm spending more time just in my head in a good way. So it's been great.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. So on Ordinary Joe, is it a musical or are you? No,
1: it's a drama. It's an interesting story. It's a drama. It's sort of a, a sliding doors um, uh, situation, and uh, sliding doors maybe meets This Is Us or something. And it's a uh, it's three parallel lives of our lead character Joe in terms of what he would have become, and one of them, you know, involves music, and that I work with that Joe. So it's the same actor, uh, a cat named Jimmy woke, who was on uh, Mad Men among other things, and truly the loveliest dude in the world. And uh, everyone involved in this production is great. And I've, I've done a little TV, you know, I dip in my, my feet into it every five or six years. And then I always get freaked out and I leave because it's just <laughs> such a different, it's such a different paradigm and just so nutty. and. Uh, this one so far, I'm really, really digging. It is truly like it could be really fun, and and he is he's such a great kid that you, you just root for him. So and he plays all three Joes, so he has to carry this thing, and he's awesome. So uh, it's been neat, but yeah. So I'm just writing, you know, we're sort of writing his stuff and producing it.
0: It's funny, I I mean, I guess I've known you for a bunch of years. You've been doing this since. You know, we were young and now we're not the youngest kids around, but you do wind up having to work a lot of times, like you said, with like Disney kids and and, um, you know, young actors. And, And it's funny because I think that musicians like jealous musicians sometimes will look at the Disney uh, stars and assume that they have nothing but that's not really the case like a lot of times they'll pick these kids <sighs> out that are like really pretty
1: brilliant kids yeah it's uh, some of these kids are freakishly gifted you know it was interesting like um zendaya is is mm-hmm. complete, just ridiculous i remember the first time she came in the studio she was great I uh, You know, the funny thing about, you know, the Disney uh, world is I never saw myself in this lane, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid who there if there was a moment in time, I w- I thought I was pretty cool. You know, I was like a kid who grew <laughs> up listening to Husker and the replacements and R.E.M. was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Certainly the IRS years, everything that I am sort of formed from, you know, um, W.L.I.R. and W.D.R.E. and all that, you know, New York stuff. And so I um. If I told young me that this is the path, it would be kind of neat. But the flip side was I was also a kid who grew up listening to Debbie Gibson records and thought, you know, Only in My Dreams was the raddest thing ever because she was 16 and I was 16. I thought, wow, man, this girl is incredible. So I don't know. I I just love any form of song that's constructed. I'm really into like song shaping and, you know, that goes back to just studying like a scientist, just the art, going back, you know, of every every era, you know, just sort of, just as the sort of consummate nerdy fan, but as far as the Disney kids, what's interesting is, I, you know, I I started taking those gigs when I moved to LA because I had a daughter and I thought this is gonna be some currency with my kid. My kid thinks I'm kind of whack. My kid doesn't really, my kids always thought I was kind of whack, so she never really, she never really bought into any of my own mystique that I would picture, you know? And uh, so the Disney kids, I always thought, oh yeah, the, how you like me now, I'll, you know. <laughs> and and uh, and 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 it was interesting because some of the kids were, you know, what you'd expect, and just you know, were actors, you know, just sort of playing a role of singer. And then other kids were just ridiculous. I mean, the kid who uh, passed away a couple of years ago, uh, Cameron Boyce, was. Yeah. I mean, this kid was so cool and also so freakishly gifted, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, um, I mean, obviously Olivia Rodrigo is is crushing it right now, and she's she's obviously proved, you know, that you know she's beyond legit. And there's so many of these kids who are great, and I have to say this Josh Basket kid is no joke. He is he's formidable. I think he's gonna make some noise. So it's fun. It's like it's it, they you know these kids are you know they don't they don't. Um, they don't fumble into this. It's not that they just sort of stumble into this path. These are kids who worked so hard to get there, and they're freakishly gifted at a young age. I was not. I was the opposite. <laughs> so I think I sort of I, I envy it, and I'm fascinated by it because it's just so against me. I was so unshaped and sort of just, you know, I was just a, a big bowl of nothing. So...
0: Well, you say that, I I wonder about that. I wonder about you as a young person finding your way to this job, because I mean, I think that it would be safe to say that you have like a restless intellect, an active mind. I mean, you're going and going, but I wonder, was there a moment when you were like, okay, I'm definitely going to do music. And could you have imagined that it would be not just your own music, but helping sort of guide other people to find their voice?
1: My story is pretty nutty in that way yeah my you know the the backstory that's kind of funny, and I always say this, but you know people ask about it would be you know my mom used to work with Andy Warhol, and so as a kid um There were occasions where Andy Warhol would babysit me as a little kid. And (laughs) that's, that's, it's really like, it doesn't get bad. That's like my mic drop every day, but it's actually true. And um, they used to, you know, my mom's partner was Jed Johnson, an interiors firm in Manhattan and like the disco sort of late Studio 54 era. And they crushed it and they did all these incredible apartments and they did like magnificent work that you can sort of look online. They did, Vogue did a great piece on them. They did, um, they did Mick Jagger's place. They did Yves Saint Laurent, like sort of like the mainstays of that culture, you know? And, during that time, um, sometimes they would drop me off at Andy's and leave me with Andy and his maids when they would go out buying things. And Andy was uh, Jed was Andy's boyfriend for twelve years. He directed Bad for uh, Andy and stuff like that. He was, he was just an incredible guy. He passed away in uh, uh, the 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 plane that went down in um, you know in, uh, in in Long Island, the uh, Flight 96, 96, Is that correct? Nine the-
0: eleven. 9-
1: no, no, the one to Paris. The, oh, the oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the TWA flight. But um, oh, yeah, yeah, and he was this incredible cat man. And um, but as a kid, you know, it was interesting because I, um, I just, I, I had like a, a relentless drive to uh, to listen to records 24 hours a day. And you know, the you know the gods gave me many things, but the gods did not give me your features, Rhett. They did not give me your features, they did not give me your hair. And so at the end of the day, I was sort of like this goofball who who just sat in his room all day long um, listening to music. And back then, I didn't know how to articulate it. I started taking guitar lessons at 8, quit at 10 played sports, did all this dipshit stuff, and while I was trying to figure out who I was, I was just like this this, this sort of, this lost kid. But I really knew that I loved listening to records, and I studied them like baseball cards, like super nerdy, kind of like pinfieldy, and kind of, you know, just weird knowledge of trivial stuff. I, um, I, I became obsessed every genre, and i spent all my weekends at flea markets buying you know 25-cent records 50-cent records and this is pre-sampling this was just to actually listen to music and i didn't know what that would manifest into my mom one night at a, a, a andy warhol had a a dinner at an apartment i believe and nile rogers was there and nile uh was seated next to my folks and my dad you know my parents were both artists at, at the core they're super intellectual and really heady my dad was a modern dancer who you know after retiring um was an architect with philip johnson for a while and then eventually i uh, was a professor at pratt for many years and my mom had many lifetimes and she was more fascinating more interesting than any of us times ten and during that time um my folks uh my folks are seated next to nile and nile is just on a tangent and he's going wild and he's just talking you know he's just having a great time my parents just hone in on me they say, look man we have this kid who listens to chic all day long you know which you know wasn't really that cool because everyone was (laughs) kind of listening to kiss and i was kind (laughs) of listening to chic so i was always like i was always you know contrarian and they thought, you know, he's kind of obsessed with your stuff. You know, what do you do now? And he explained, oh, well, you know, I'm a producer now as well. On top of, you know, I was always, but now I'm really focusing on writing and producing for other people. He had done Diana Ross. He'd done Bowie. And this is right around the time he did Madonna when he produced Like a Virgin. And he, they came home and, and, and he said to them, you know, it sounds like your kid has the bones Of someone who will end up as either a songwriter or a record producer like he just has that obsession you don't get you don't lose that if it's really like it's in your DNA so they came back they told me about this I was uh, 14 years old and I uh, it completely fucked my skull you know I came out of that and there was nothing left from that point on I announced to the world that this is what I would do in my life and you know, I, was, I sang in the worst band in my high school. We were a last-place band in the Battle of the Bands, always. Like, we we perennial. We went to the hardest, Greeley Battle of the Bands. We came in seventh out of eighth place. The eighth, the only reason we weren't in eighth is because the eighth-place band uh, had a 30-something-year-old ringer on guitar who got busted. But, you know, um, I, was, I was terrible. I was the front man of my shitty band, but, uh, you know, I, I held us back. I thought the other guys were headed for greatness. I felt like I sort of held them back from the trophy. Um, but... I just kept, uh, I just, I really believed that I could turn this into something. And it was, it was years of just getting better and better and failing and failing and failing at a level that nobody in the history of the music business has failed at. Um, And I'll argue that with anybody. I feel like my failings top anybody. So it was just, it's a game of attrition and I stuck it out. Oh, that's so great! So I
0: wonder about that, especially the fact that right now you are like really digging into uh, examining you know what you're talking about these failures. You know the the moments that were the opposites of the um, the the grand successes. Now you seem like a really confident guy. You, I mean, I know you also present as being like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm eating up with anxiety. Like you'll you'll say stuff like that too. But to me, that seems It seems like you're super confident. But if these conversations have taught me anything, it's that we all have like negative voices in our head. We all have these sort of internally generated obstacles that we have to overcome. And I wonder how you deal with those, if you've figured out any secrets that you can share.
1: Well, I feel, uh, you know, it's so funny you say that. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. Um, I think that came with age in terms of knowing who I am um i'm pretty at ease with who i am at this point because i can't change it and it just sort of it, it became what it is there were many tough years there were you know there was the year and a half of valium every day to keep me <coughs> from panic attacks because i was having you know multiple panic attacks a day my manager and my wife had to take me to cedar sinai and they had to strap me down because i had such a debilitating panic attack outside uh henson outside you know the 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 henson recording the old a&m building um you know i've had i i i just i okay sorry red is that can we cut the does that hit you or no i haven't heard anything i just have to edit that's uh somehow it, it rings at that same point um so i uh there we go hey i'm back um i uh you know what happened with me um which was interesting was when you have a singular vision i dropped out of college for this right so i dropped out of school very young and i uh, came like i said i came from these two intellectuals my dad was a professor and they're both ivy league and they're really heady and i was in my house the colossal fuck up like that just goes like saying my brother graduated college at least i didn't and um, I had to figure it out. And because of that, I had such a, I, I really have one skill set in life and I, I do a self-deprecating thing, but honestly, anyone who knows me really well, it's the goddamn truth. I can't do anything. So <laughs> I'm not particularly like a functioning human being. My wife really, <laughs> the bulk of our existence and you know, I can do things like I, I make a mean, you know, my cereal like skills are ridiculous because I can mix and match and I'm, I can make a melange that's very formidable, especially with like an oatmeal situation or a granola situation, any of that stuff, I can really compete. But outside of that, I can't do anything. I don't cook. Um, I, uh, I, I really i can't do anything handy. But sorry, I digress. But what um, how I've dealt with anxieties, is that the question, et cetera, how I dealt with the voices in my head? Well, I'll tell you something. Um, it's routine. I'm a big believer in routine because for a guy like me, if I go off routine, I don't come back. I stray. So um, I uh, I was at uh here's a fun name drop for you, but uh, 10 or 11 years ago, one of my oldest friends, let's start there. One of my oldest friends, double name drop. Is that like, I don't know, on a level of gross, I don't know where that stands <laughs> if you do a double name drop, but I think I, I'm trying to Really achieve the holy grail of disgusting right now. So one of my oldest friends who was um, in my wedding party 21 years ago, who uh, I've known since I was 21 running around the city, uh, is a guy named Jeremy Piven, actor Mm -hmm. of Entourage fame and many others. And he was a guy who I knew, yeah, I ran around with these guys uh, very, very young. I had this incredible experience running around with this Evanston crew of Cusack and Piven and all these guys. And they really took me under their wing. And I was the entourage (laughs) in that scenario. But the Piven, uh, what I love about Piven is Piven uh, will reach out every year and just say, Hey man, you want to come to dinner? And there's always an unusual person there. And I've had some of these life altering email and Cusack used to do the same thing. And it's like, I would have these incredible meals that really altered my, my thought process. And one was, uh, about eight years ago, he took me out to dinner with Steve Nash. And this is before Steve Nash was the coach, the coach of the Nets. He was at the end of his NBA career. He was playing in his last couple of seasons, eight or nine years ago. And, uh, we went to uh, we went to dinner in the village, and Steve was uh, you know at this point um, Steve was you know he was on the downside of the career of this Hall of Fame career, and uh, I think Jeremy asked him. Um, he said, "Look, man, how do you uh, how do you compete at this point with eighteen-year-old kids who have such incredible athletic ability, and you're this grown-ass dude as thirty-eight or whatever, and still trying to stick in it? But you're still ridiculously quick and." And Steve said something that changed my life he, he said um, You know what I do is uh, He said he was in his third year in the NBA or something like that and, and his numbers were plummeting and He went to see a sports psychologist sports psychologist said something along the lines of hey, you know You've been doing this three years. How many times have you been to Milwaukee and Steve said mm, I don't know eight or nine. He said yeah, he said you don't want to go to Milwaukee again you've seen it the first time now by the way i am very pro milwaukee i think they're probably about to win the nba championship but i just remember this and i think milwaukee you know i'm paraphrasing but i do believe milwaukee was the story he shouted out he said you know and the psychologist said look you know it's very natural for athletes at this point in their careers to have their numbers begin to plummet because all the novelty and spark of being, you know, of 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 achieving, you know, this goal that you worked your whole life for suddenly comes off when it becomes so repetitive. He said, "So what you're going to do is um, during your season, when everybody else gets an off day once or twice a week, you are never going to take an off day. You're going to train every single day during the regular season. You are never take a day off, and you'll do Pilates, yoga, um, uh, uh, Tai Chi, I believe, meditation. Like there are all these different disciplines, swimming." Um, and he told us the story and it was the craziest thing I ever heard in my life because, you know, I walked out of there and all I could think of was where was it? I was t- sort of analyzing my own career as I, walk- I was walking back through Washington Square Park and I was thinking about it and i had been writing with Dave Katz, uh, a really good buddy of mine for, year- for years, and we'd had a tremendous amount of success for about three straight years, but I could feel the wheels coming off Yeah. Um, a little bit just in terms of. We were taking so many gigs and we were we were truly whores. We were just taking anything with a pulse that had a check. And it was good. We were buying apartments and you know, really enjoying it. But the flip side was, I could tell that there were tropes and things in our writing that were just repeating themselves over and over again. And that, um, you know how that ends, you know? And so, I took a step back for a second and I thought, what am I doing wrong in my process? I said, well, because I'm I'm so confident in what I'm doing at this point that when we go through a stretch of like three or four days and we're hitting it really hard, then I take two or three days off and I'm doing nothing. And I'm sitting around enjoying the fruits of my labor as opposed to really mastering my craft. So I decided to never take a day off during a writing stretch. And the writing stretch for me historically is sort of like a, a school teachers, right? It's like, mid-September to Thanksgiving, late January to Memorial Day. Between Memorial Day and Labor Day, there's nothing really happening because most of the people I work with are touring. So I'm a collaborator, I don't write a lot of pitch songs. So the bulk of my songs tend to be, certainly the stuff, the stuff that has been successful has always been me writing with an artist. So those guys are on tour all summer. So they take the holidays off. So during those times, um, I'm free and I can breathe. So right now I'm sort of breathing and you hear me and I'm sort of in this, this Zenner place. But come mid-September, I will go to seven days a week um, straight through Thanksgiving and then I'll stop but during that intensity what happens is the muscle is so strong and what i do is if i'm not in a session i write sit down one day i'll do a list of titles and i'll say 20 titles today and i'll beat myself up if something just feels hack in any way shape or form i throw it out it has to be something that feels sort of high con- high concept and sort of is it could drive a narrative that i would i would really be moved by um, another day I'll write voice notes where it's just solely just guitar vocal, just humming like a verse melody. Another day I might write a, a slew of choruses and it's just process, process, process. And what it does is I get back in the room and I feel like I'm like a, that 38 year old Steve Nash playing with 18 year olds. I feel super sharp during that run you know? And that changed my life. Everything that came out of that really was life life altering because I'd had a first run that was great, but then it, I felt like it dipped for a year or two. And then I just came back, like, just really just focused and present. And I don't know, I, I really, I, I totally stand by my craft afterwards. You know, I really thought I became a better writer.
0: God, I love that. I love that. Uh, just the attention to detail and the relentlessness of it. I feel like you just gave me what steve nash gave you and that's fantastic thank you
1: well it's just it's it's i have to say you know uh, there are so many lessons out there that you know ordinarily a younger me would have heard that and would have had that entire hang with him and i might not have processed anything other than like fun little tidbits but it was and by the way it just let me state a lovely generous Really interesting guy and so smart and sharp that I, I was, I was, I was mesmerized. I, I fell in love. The guy's amazing, but you know, you can learn lessons. You know, I think I'll, sometimes we box ourselves into like, you know, I'll talk to young writers and they really spend a lot of time watching YouTube tutorials, just on music. But there are life lessons in everything. I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with documentaries. I watch documentarians left and right, and I'm trying to figure out their process. And just, you know, uh, you can learn so much from any craft. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, it's just more about, it's just how it, how it really just, whatever it can stir in you and shake up. So just sort of the, uh, the words start flowing, you know. Man,
0: that's so great, but I'm also glad, I guess, that you give yourself um, permission to take a few months off here and there and go to Cape Cod, fight with yeah, your dogs.
1: I, the summer is awesome for me because it really is, um, I really reboot and I also, uh, you know, use the word present, but I mean, it, it, it is so important to be present, especially as a dad, you know, like. It just to, to have these moments with my with my kid even though she doesn't want to hang out with me and she thinks i suck at this age probably has always thought i sucked as i referred to that's got a shift I, I hope somebody out there will tell me that it gets better but you know at 15 she's not really having it but it's still it's awesome being around her and watching her grow and just seeing this this little person grow into like a fully formed breathing human and um I uh, I also you know it's it's strange like inspirational strike at strange times because I figure if I'm not chasing it during the summer and I'm just sitting back I have flourishes you know and it it it's amusing in terms of the repetition during the main stretch when it's really like six or seven so five six seven songs a week whatever I'm writing and then now it might be one song every two or three weeks but <laughs> the amount of time. I spend an energy on that one song because I have so much time on my hands to do nothing. So I, I torture everyone who works with me because I'm like, oh, wait, you know, I really feel that this melody isn't right. And we just go back in 400 times and I make people batshit, but it's it's my one release, you know. Yeah, let's go. Oh man,
0: well, this is great. Um, first of all, I think my thought maybe about your daughter is that she probably thinks you're like the coolest person in the world, but she can't let on. That's what that's the story I tell myself about
1: my kids anyway. I mean, I just want to go with that. Let's take it. You yeah. Know? I, I'm gonna absorb that and just walk around with 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 this with this this glorious grin on my face today, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs>
0: Um, so in a moment, I'll ask you to distill this wisdom that you've been sharing with us into some advice for your younger self. But before we get to that, uh, we'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. So Sam, if you were to run into a 21-year-old version of yourself, um, but in today's world, what advice might you give yourself?
1: You ever watch the uh, the New York City Marathon? yeah. Looks terrible. You know, I feel like nine <laughs> times out of ten, there's these Kenyan dudes, right? And they just slay this, right? They just their their pacing is so beautiful. It's poet, it's poetic. When I watch them, I think it's poetic because I obviously can't make it around my high school track. But when I watch these guys, there's such a beauty in their steps and their pacing. And I um I always try to get in t- inside their heads and wonder how did they learn to just constantly stay so even keel. And there's no, sometimes it's so effortless. Um, When I was young, I approached everything in my life like a sprinter, right? I just was doing these 40-yard dashes with everything because of, of panic. I felt like I was running from myself, so I was constantly just, you know, do this is as quickly as it can because if it doesn't happen for me now, it's never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen. And what I realize is my career has truly been this great little marathon where, you know, my failure on the early end was this colossal thing, and it went on for 12 years 13 years something like that like just endless failure where like literally there's like this 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 horrific black crack cloud says uh following me everywhere i went around manhattan the flip side is after that the last like you know 12 13 been pretty lights out on the other end so it's um it's a case study in stick-to-itiveness and just you know when they when they say something as tr- as as hack is uh don't sweat the small stuff it is the truth man like it's really like sweat the big stuff but like the little stuff you know it doesn't affect the outcome the outcome is about um just um just really just sort of always just pushing forward at whatever pace you're at just just st- always just take one more step and I believe that um, it will pay off whoever you are. It's a game of attrition, most leave. So if you can ride it out, good things happen.
0: Well, it's funny. I I love talking to you and hearing all this stuff. I feel like um, one thing that you've got going for you that is so great that I think is perhaps a good lesson um, that you're sharing with us just by being who you are is that being really positive and being like fun And happy and supportive. I feel like when you walk into a session, it probably starts off on such a good note because of who you are. I think that that's like an unspoken lesson that you've sort of shared with us today.
1: Well, I mean, Rhett, the one thing that I I would say, and I really say this, and it's not just you know for comedic uh, comedic gold, but the truth is, you know, I know what I look like, and I know, um, and I know my talents and I would say I am so lucky that I get to do this man like you know this was my dream man this was my dream and the fact that it worked out is unbelievable but it's also it's not lost on me how absolutely lucky and blessed I am to just sort of get to do this every day and because of that I try to bring that energy into the room with whoever I'm in because Um, It doesn't matter if somebody's dour or self-defeatist or whatever, like I'm going to try to elevate the mood and just come in and be that spark. And I come in pretty high energy because it doesn't matter who I'm writing with. I've done copious amounts of due diligence, man. I mean, I have like I have studied tendencies in speech, speech patterns sort of. Uh, read prior, prior lyrics, going back a couple of records, because I I believe in uh, I, I I'm obsessed with the concept of believability when I'm writing with somebody in terms of I never want to come into a room and just shout out ideas that feel like I I really have no knowledge of who this artist is. So before I go into it, I I really prep, and I don't know. There's a lot of writers I would say I've I've collaborated with who don't in terms of they believe they just come in cold because they are that skilled and they can. I don't have that same skill set, So for me, I love to become the character. And I think all of that is born from the fact that I really know I belong behind the curtain and not in front of it. So I'm not trying to compete for the attention in that way. I'm just trying to um, fulfill someone's vision, or if they don't have a vision, uh approach it you know it's funny many years later i ended up collaborating with nile rogers right so we started writing songs together when i was 29 and which is just the coolest thing that ever happened at the time i mean you can't believe like that you know the you know the how, that that trajectory for me was incredible but nile said something to me um we were about to work with donna summer of all people so this is like the gra- i mean young sam is like what <laughs> Chic and Donna Summer, and uh, that was the sexiest thing to me ever. And we were about to make this thing happen. And um, Niall said to me something amazing, because I didn't know how to approach it, because I was just so intimidated. And he said, look, he said, you need to approach sessions with artists like you are the consummate super fan you are. Bring that energy into the room and pitch what you think the sequel would be, right? So if they've made this movie many times, where do you take the sequel? That's your job, figure out the sequel. You're the fan. The fan always has ideas. If you look, man, I'm sure if I go to an old 97s chat board, you know, someplace or go to your Instagram, there are fans who are just going to give you tons of, no, this is what you should open with. Why aren't you doing this? You know, well, I'm one of those kind of guys. I'm like a mega dork who like, (laughs) I just, I believe in fandom as a concept. I'm still like a mega fan who like hits up Stephen Bishop all the time and like all my favorite writers and just writes like, oh, just, you know, I love this much. And that's how I decided to approach it. And that, that was really the game changer. And that's how I really, even today, if I'm working with an 18 year old kid, if I dig their stuff, I'm I'm more excited than they are when I'm in the room, because I just, you know, look, I can't believe that I'm a survivor guy, man. I can't believe I didn't get voted off the island. You know what I mean? I'm waiting for my torch to be extinguished all the time, but it doesn't happen. So as long (laughs) as I'm in the game, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, play a good game.
0: Oh, my God. Well, Sam, this is great. I can't believe how much wisdom you've dropped in the last, whatever, 30 minutes. And I just think the world of you, and I'm so grateful that you brought the excitement and uh, just the kick-ass stories and everything. This is fantastic. Thanks so much for being on Wheels Off.
1: As a Rhett Miller fan, I have to say that the fact that I'm sitting next to a guy who was able to sit in all the desks at of the office set <laughs> and, you know, and get that love from that cast. I remember watching that with my jaw on the ground thinking, man, Rhett Miller is just very cool. I will achieve this level of cool someday. You know, I I, I never got there. I did leave down the street from uh, David Wallace. He was on my block. <laughs> he lived on my block in L.A. That was pretty cool. He actually brought over a business card for my kid saying, uh, you know, and he wrote, he has has Dunder Mifflin, uh, Andy Buckley's got Dunder Mifflin uh, business cards that he gives out to people. And it was a David Wallace card. He said, Joey, we're hiring. Please call. So, (laughs) coolest, coolest gift ever.
0: Oh, man. Well, you rock. I can't wait till we can hang out in real life. Thank you so much.
1: We will do this. And seriously, thank you for having me, man. And I love what you do. You know that. And honestly, like, I'm stoked. And thank you. Woo! Back at you, Sam. Go get some sun. Thanks, brother.
0: All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
1: OSIRIS.
0: is the best song.